Hey girlfriend, I'm Samantha. If you're ready to beat burnout, find freedom, and explore what it looks like to live exponentially, you've come to the right place. I'm an Enneagram 2, a projector, and a get-it-done gal who decided that living life by the norm just wasn't working for me anymore. I started a membership back in 2018, and it grew a whole lot bigger and faster than I ever imagined. Then my students started asking me for help in building out their own memberships. By 2020, I became a membership mentor full-time, and soon after, I retired my husband from his career, and we hit the road to become digital nomads in our motorhome. Here, I'll share stories of my students, what it can look like to live exponentially, and how to make it happen. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Exponential Life podcast. I'm Sam, and I am here with one of my friends, Lorraine, today, and she is going to talk to us about her journey with sobriety. So Lorraine, if you want to take a couple minutes to take the stage and just let us know a little bit about you, what you do, kind of how you got here, and then we'll jump into all of the juicy details. They're very juicy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm super excited. Um, and I'm so excited to connect back with you again. Um, it always feels like just chit-chatting with friends. And so that's what makes this so fun. But yeah. my name is Lorraine and I am a speaker, coach, and podcast host. I have, um, my podcast is the Bite Size Podcast. And um, I absolutely love, love, love being able to empower other people to step into their journey, to step into their destiny, um, to discover their God-given talents. Um, and I feel like that is what my purpose is, is to, uh, pull the good and the gold out of other people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I think a lot of people just go through life um, checking the boxes, you know, and they'd get up and they adult and that's it. And we were created to be and do so much, so, so, so much more. And I'm just on a mission to tell everyone that, and everyone was divinely created for divine purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for them. So that's what I do. I, I just spread that love. I, 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 I'm a sprinkle thrower. <laughs> I throw the sparkle yes. on everyone. I bring it's it out exciting. of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love that you're doing this because I do have so many friends who I think, I think the disconnect for them is almost this mindset of, so, you know, there's like a, what is it? A growth and a, whatever the opposite of growth is mindset. I can't remember. Dave Hollis used to talk about this all the time. Fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Yes. Fixed and growth. And I think that that, you know, there's a lot of things that play into that, you know, in a growth mindset, a lot of people uh, love Jesus and they, because of the story of Jesus, they want more for their lives. Right. And in a growth mindset, a lot of people are into personal development. And again, that a lot of times goes back to Jesus where it's like, I want to be better every day. I want to strive to be like Jesus, right? And I just find myself getting so frustrated with these people that don't believe there's anything more for Mm. life and that they don't know that they're put here for a purpose and it's not just for themselves. It's truly for for helping the world and helping everyone else and back to the Lord. And so I remember one time we were at... um, 
a New Year's Eve dinner. And one of my girlfriends is a big goal setter. You know, she's a lot like me, but her husband, he, uh, he's in the military. And he said to me, he said to all of us at the table, when it came his turn to talk, he was like, I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. I'm the same me every day. That's how it is. And I'm just like, what? Like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) So I think, you know, people like you can really help maybe not, not necessarily the people that are fixed, fixed people, but the people that know that they want to, but don't really know how or what or when, you know, to go after it. So I love what you're doing, Lorraine. And I think a lot of this was sparked by your own journey and your own sobriety, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. My, I mean, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So Um, when you said, when you, when we're talking about we decided we were going to swap podcasts and shameless plug. If you haven't listened to it yet, I was on the bite size podcast this week with Lorraine. You have to go listen to a great episode. And I invited her on my podcast. I'm like, what should we talk about? Like there's so many different topics. And, um, she mentioned sobriety and that one lit me up because it's not something I've ever talked about publicly, Mm. but it is something that is very like close to my heart. So I'll kind of give a little background on why it's important to me. And then I want to go into Lorraine's story and really have you hear the depth and the boldness of how she's gone through this and how it's set her up to live not only for a better life for herself, but for her family, her clients and for the Lord. So for me, I was born into a really big family and my dad was the last of four kids to his mom who um, met her husband in the 40s, married him right away, and he was an alcoholic. He left her, he had other women pregnant at the same time as her, and he just was not a good guy. Her dad was also a drunk, he had been in prison, um, and it just seemed like she had surrounded herself with these men who were addicted, right? Mm -hmm. And so she was really, really bitter about that. Mm -hmm. And I have never, I'd never seen my grandma pick up a drink. I think she was her, I think her mindset about it was bitterness rather than like, I'm going to be better than this. It was bitterness. But she used to tell me when I was a kid, if you get your belly wet while you're washing the dishes, it means you're going to marry a drunk. And that's what her mom used to say to her. And I told her I was not going to marry a drunk. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, not me, grandma. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) that's, I'm so stuck on that. That's so interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she used to say all kinds of little things like that. Oh, if you do this, it means this. Right. Uh And her mom said that to her and then it really came true. And I was like, "Mm, not for me. And I was like a cycle breaker from the moment I remember, you Mm. know, there was, there was some violence in my home at times. And I was like, nope, not me. And so, um, I was, I was just always so against it. I had never seen my dad drink until we were at a family party. Once he picked up a Corona and I like screamed bloody murder. I was about 10. Mm. And I was like, no, that is not allowed. That's not okay. You will not be doing that because I knew he had to drive us home. Mm. And my grandma was kind of like, oh shit, this is my fault. Because <laughs> kind of I've, I've spoke this into her, but um, she was like, oh, Sam, like one beer isn't being a drunk and blah, blah, blah. But I have been adamantly 
anti-alcohol pretty much ever since that day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I tried it in high school and, you know, after high school and it always made me feel really yucky, like mm-hmm. sick immediately. Um, like I was going to need to go to the bathroom. Like I had no control and I don't, I've never had a hangover. So I don't know that I've ever been truly drunk, but mm-hmm. I would feel the slightest of buzz, like right away. I'm pretty sensitive to anything. And I just chose not to drink. I was like, this is not great. Um, I don't love it. I had to drink like the sugariest, like yuckiest stuff in order to even enjoy it. And so I was like, you know, this isn't for me. And I cannot even tell you the amount of crap I have gotten for that. And the amount of like, peer pressure that I've received over the years from my friends and at times even my husband I mean we were 19 when we got married so he was he was young but not a lot from him but mostly my girlfriends oh well Sam doesn't drink kind of like a goody two shoes or a prude or Mm -hmm. whatever it is Mm -hmm. I always stuck by it because it just didn't make me feel good and a couple years later guess what I was diagnosed with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease what thank god God I listened to my body and I did yeah so it was just kind of a thing that made sense to me and I was like wow I'm really glad that I didn't overindulge out of peer pressure and I stuck to my guns and I will tell you still at 32 I hear things from people oh why aren't you drinking Sam why don't you have a drink first of all I I don't love the premise of it second of all I don't need to be inebriated to have a good time Mm. it is so expensive (laughs) (laughs) it's like I get so grumpy about it my husband likes to have a drink here and there and I'm like no so the other big reason that I don't love alcohol specifically is because my husband comes from a long line of addicts on on both sides both Mm. of his parents are addicts and um I just had kind of always had it in the back of my mind you know like oh my grandma said I was going to marry a drunk. So it has always been this big thing for us that, uh, and he's great about it. If he has a drink, he doesn't drive. Like he's very responsible, but I always kind of remind him like, okay, well, you know, like one's the limit, especially with the budget, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we're out, I'm like, no, well, you have to drive home. I can't see in the dark. So yeah, um, it is, it is just funny. Like we have this kind of uh, relationship where he, he doesn't love that I don't love it, but he totally respects it. Um, There has been, you know, a lot of addiction in my family other than just alcohol. Um, My brother has been fighting addiction. My younger brother has been fighting addiction basically since he was 12 and he just turned 29. So it's been a really long, hard road for him too. And um, I just... I, I think we really need to have these conversations about sobriety more. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger, I remember really specifically a speech that my pastor was giving about addiction. And what he said was that addiction is a lack of feeling loved. People are trying to replace the feeling they get from the Lord of being loved and accepted and at home and at peace mm-hmm. with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that always stuck with me. And so I have made it a really big point in, in my relationship with my brother specifically to make him feel loved and to know like, Hey, you do have someone in your corner, even when stuff gets hard, you know, he's been numbing out 
his almost his whole life like way before he was ever even an adult and so he doesn't ever even feel the feels right like he's never given him, himself the chance to feel the feels but um I've always made it a a point to make sure he knows that I'm there and that I love him and I think that that can be hard because a lot of times when we have addicts in our family people give up on them they get so burnt out from giving and giving and just the taking and taking and it's really hard to love someone through that right especially when they don't want to change and they've been given chance after chance Mm -hmm. so um the last thing I'll say about choosing sobriety and and why I love that it's being talked about more especially in our space of entrepreneurship is because it is downright unhealthy to drink alcohol Mm. we know drugs are unhealthy right but alcohol has been glamorized for a long time like oh red wine is healthy oh mommy wine culture like that can take a turn real quick but they have come out with so many studies about how bad alcohol is specifically for your brain and how it's I think that a class one or whatever like the worst carcinogen is alcohol fits into that class and people don't talk about it and because they don't want to give it up right just like people don't want to give up their fast food and they don't want to give up this or that and it's like well this isn't serving you in any way there's no way that this is enriching your life. Mm. It's only something that you're using to hide. And people don't want to confront that. But I think the more the more that we talk about this and the more that we bring it to light and the more that we talk about struggle as a normal thing that we all go through, whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or anything, whatever it is, we all struggle with things. And I think the more we can normalize the struggle, the more, the more easy it is to see the lack of struggle on the horizon for us. Right. So there's my soapbox on sobriety. (laughs) (laughs) We're done. (laughs) (laughs) I have chosen that. And I want you guys to hear Lorraine's story because again, I don't, I can't really speak to this. I'm, I've been a spectator to addiction, right? I, I mean, I've got my own things, but I've been a spectator to drug and alcohol addiction. And I would love for you guys to hear firsthand a story of change and a story of recovery out of, you know, the depths of all of the demons that Lorraine has had to fight. Mm. So I'm going to give you the floor sister and I just cannot wait to share this. Wow. 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 So, so many places I want to go, but let's start, <laughs> let's start from the top. Um, my journey with sobriety is, uh, pretty colorful. Um, not as colorful as my husband's or other people that I know, but it, mine is pretty stinking colorful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, did not, I would not say that I grew up in an alcoholic home. So my, my, uh, drug of choice, if you will, was alcohol. Um, and I mean, I dabbled in a little bit, I, you know, I smoked weed from time to time and I did gummies or whatever. And um, the only <laughs> yeah. hard, hard drug you should say that I ever did was ecstasy. Other mm-hmm. than that, 
no, All no normal pills. teenager and young adult things to, yeah, to try. Yeah. Yeah. So never, never put anything up my nose. Never, never did any of that crazy stuff. Right. Um, thank God. Uh, but so I, I didn't grow up in, uh, an alcoholic or a drug induced home per se. Um, my family, but so now looking back hindsight's 2020 looking back, I would definitely say that my dad is a functioning alcoholic and Mm -hmm. that my dad's side of the family, um, are, um, alcohol abusers. Um, and one of the things that you said that really, I can't agree more is how much alcohol is glamorized, how Mm -hmm. much society puts an okay facade on it. You know, we use it for celebrations. We use it for, we use it for everything. If you feel good, you had a good day, you have a drink, you have a glass of wine, you have this and, you know, rich people have their little brandy with the big giant ice cube. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so glamorized and you have your little station with all your fun stuff on it. And, and I'm not, I'm okay. I'm using my funny voice. (laughs) I'm not mocking this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I've been there. I know that. Um, but what I am. I guess you can say mocking is how society glamorizes it. And it's a serious yeah. problem mm-hmm. um, because a lot of time and it's the family's best kept secret. So I thought that it was just normal to drink the way everybody drank. And I was, um, at a high school that was, uh, in a well, a well area. And so that's just what everybody did. The kids partied and drank just like the high school normally. And yeah. I did it again, hindsight's 2020. I did not know at the time that I was drinking to mask the feelings. I did not know that I was drinking to mask the pain and to numb out and, um, to run away and escape the painful life that I had. So I, I, you know, had sexual trauma at a very young age, mm-hmm. you know, between the ages of six and nine, my parents divorced, my mom moved all the time. Um, so there was all these things. And one of the things that you had said about people are trying to fill this missing piece, that hole. Granted, now we know as believers, that hole is Jesus. And the only thing that's going to fill that hole is Jesus. I didn't know that at the time I was just trying to fill this hole. I had this abandonment issue, um, this lack of, uh, self-worth issue. So I found my worth in alcohol and being the center of attention and the life of the party and the fun girl that all, you know, everybody wanted to hang out with. And I had a bunch of guy friends and all the guys loved hanging out with me because, I wasn't like the girls and I was kind of rough and tumbly and, but dainty and pretty, but I would, you know, hang out with the boys. So anyways, that just led to, uh, alcohol abuse big time. And, um, I wouldn't say that I was a full blown alcoholic to where I had to drink to make it through the day. That wasn't mm-hmm. it at all, but I used alcohol every chance I got happy hour. I was there like bad day. People think that alcoholism means you're constantly drunk 24-7, and that's not true. Yeah. It just means that you reach for it 
every chance it's available or you don't say no when it's offered to you right. or you use it over other things right it you doesn't use it yeah, yeah. You use it obs- obsessively or excessively yeah. and um you know I had a my functional medicine doctor was talking to my husband about alcoholism because you know he was concerned about it for himself and she said if you're having a drink or two a night you have a problem like yeah that's excessive right a drink or two a week maybe not excessive but a drink or two a night that is that is alcoholism and he was like oh wow okay because there was a point where he was coming home and pouring himself a glass or three of whiskey every night yeah yeah. And it was showing in his liver. And that's why she mm. was like, Hey, let's yeah. talk about this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be that you are constantly drunk. It doesn't even right. have to be that you are drunk. It's just, you know, cause he wasn't getting drunk from a couple glasses, but he was constantly using. Right. Right. And it was the, you know, you have a problem when you're reaching for it as a means, um, I don't want to say to heal, but as a means for resolve. So like when you have a headache, what do you drink water? That didn't help. Okay. You have a headache, take Advil. So I had a bad day, a glass of wine, or, you know, I want to relax glass of wine, or like it's using the alcohol for a relief or using the alcohol for, something. And you, what you're doing is you're masking a problem. You're masking something. And in my case, it was undealt with trauma. Yeah. And I think so, that's so common too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so fast forward, I mean, I partied, I did stupid stuff. I got a DUI before I was 21. And then within months after my DUI, um, I was arrested and charged a felony assault with a deadly weapon. And I, I guess you can say that was my rock bottom because I never got in trouble again. Um, but it definitely wasn't the end of my drinking, but that is when I knew like crap, like I've got a serious problem. I had a DUI and the next thing, you know, a few months later, I, I get this charge and, um, it was a wake up call. And I knew that I needed to change something in me needed to change. I knew God, the Holy spirit was like, you are better than this. Mm -hmm. I did not create you for this. Mm -hmm. You are not bringing glory to me. And this is not your mission. Like you're better than this. And it was, you know, the 90 days in jail when I had no one and I had nowhere to go where I was in the word every single day. And I was like, I need to change. I need help. And -hmm. then I got out and I had to do, you know, my mandatory, um, my, my mandatory stuff. Like I had restitution to pay and I had all the stuff I had to do. So I was checking the boxes. I went to a couple meetings, but, but by all means, I was like, I am not an alcoholic. I I, I don't need to go to meetings. You know, I'm not an alcoholic. So I wasn't mm-hmm. there yet. I didn't have that realization that there was a problem and there was something that it wasn't being worked out. So it wasn't until, um, gosh, I don't even, it, it wasn't until just four years. No, I don't remember. Anyways, <laughs> it was my second marriage. Oh, Pardon? 
I said, it, it's, it all blurs together. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was my second marriage that I was in because I lost, I lost my first marriage because of my drinking. Um, I, it, it was awful and it was my fault. And you know, that was something I had to work through, um, and forgive myself for. But so my second yeah. marriage was a hot mess <laughs> and we both loved each other fiercely mm-hmm. and, but both had undealt with trauma and he was an addict and I had a drinking problem. And the two of us combined were like, um, I don't want to say fire and ice. Cause we were a lot alike, but it was, uh, what's that Eminem song when a tornado meets a volcano. <laughs> it was definitely that Yeah, and it was good. It was good. And it was bad. It was really bad. And so that right. is how I found celebrate recovery. Um, it was after uh, a birthday party for his daughter and he was drinking and, um, it got out of control and everyone was gone, but he put hands on me and, mm-hmm. um, that was my first abusive relationship. And, um, it was terrifying. And again, I was like, oh my God, something needs to change. So we found celebrate recovery. Mm-hmm which is an amazing program. I think everyone should be in celebrate recovery because it covers, it all encompasses everything. It's not just for addicts, you know, Mm -hmm. it's for anger, depression, um, you know, the eating disorders, um, Mm -hmm. gambling, and, but it also does food addiction, codependency, sexual abuse, you Mm -hmm. know, addiction, alcoholism, all the things. And so that is where really my deep healing started was going through that program. So I've been sober now, this August is going to be three years, um, completely sober. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, no alcohol, no drugs, none, nothing. And so, um, it has been an amazing, amazing journey. Um, having just that complete sobriety and my now husband, um, also, um, is going to, so March was four years for him. Mm-hmm. And so we have only known each other sober. We have never known, you know, I mean, we know of our pasts. Yes. But mm-hmm. neither one of us have ever drank in or done drugs or anything. So, um, that is a beautiful thing that we have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, it, has been an incredible journey, especially with business and, um, now being a speaker and, you know, a coach and, and educating people and really empowering people to step into their best self. I, I could never be my best self as long as I had that chain to me, as long as I was drinking, even, even if it wasn't out of control, I, I know that if alcohol is a part of my life and my story, I can't be my best self. It's just not possible. Um, so yeah. And I think the whole, the whole journey of the rough patch that you were in for so long and your recovery, it's all part of your story and your purpose. So you also can't be your best self without having gone through that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you were created here to show other people that it's possible, right. To, to, to go through this successfully and that there is hope on the other side. 
side. And, you know, I was talking with my husband the other day about, you know, thinking about people who choose a lifestyle. You know, a lot of people now struggle with fentanyl addiction. And I mean, not to say like one's worse than the rest, but fentanyl is pretty potent and it takes you in a way that it seems like nothing else on the market ever, ever could. And I think the number is that it's a hundred times more potent than heroin. Mm. And it's, it's synthetic heroin. If you guys don't know what fentanyl is, it's synthetic heroin. And I talked to a, um, was at a party for 4th of July. And I spoke to a, a cop who described his job as 21 jump street. <laughs> I love that he's, he's a narcotics cop that would, you know, ride around on a bike pretending to be a regular person to buy drugs from people and then to bust them. And um so he was talking about, you know, the amount of fentanyl that is on the streets and how you really won't find anything else. It's the cheapest and it's the quote unquote best, a best high that you can get, right? Do you know the fentanyl pills are one dollar? What? No. One dollar mm-hmm. for a whole pill. And you and I, we could die from this the tiniest trace. Oh my gosh. You can't ingest fentanyl because it would absolutely wreck your insides and you would die from poisoning, basically. So you can only inject it or smoke it. Oh my gosh. And we could die, you or I, who's not been exposed and we don't have our our opiate receptors are not burnt to a crisp. Mm. We could die from just touching a doorknob that mm-hmm. someone who had fentanyl residue on touched. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're telling you like, stop using cash because it has fentanyl all over it. And, oh you know, stop using, um, you know, those baby uh, in the bathrooms, they have those baby changing, oh, the changing tables. They say to stop using those because they have fentanyl all over them. They cut it up there. And oh my gosh. Yeah. And there's been so many cases of like, these little kids are at the park and they put their hand on a needle that was in the grass and they die or they, you know, they're taken by CPS because they they have to go to the hospital and they've now mm. been exposed to fentanyl. And it's, it is just insane how it's everywhere. And he said, it is about to get a thousand times worse. Mm. It's like, you don't know what's coming. It is so much worse than you could ever imagine. And I mean, I don't know how it is in North Carolina, but coming from California, I'm sure you know, mm. at least on the West Coast and really all the way over to basically the right before you get to the middle of the country. So what I mean is like Arizona, Nevada, Colorado are also, I guess the whole West is included in this when I say this, but you can't drive down a single street and not see someone nodding off on a bench mm. because they're they're high on fentanyl. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of times they're not waking up. He He told me that, um, he said that the amount of overdoses they see compared to, you know, people weren't overdosing on meth. They were overdosing on heroin, Mm -hmm. but you know, the amount of overdoses they're seeing is astronomical compared to what they used to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, they have this whole argument about Narcan and how we should give them Narcan and they should, they can have this on their person. And he says to me, Never in my entire career have I seen a user use Narcan on themselves successfully, at least with fentanyl. And I said, well, why, why is that? And he said, because A, they would never ruin the best high of their life. Mm. And B, by the time that they would realize that they needed it, if they even do, 
realize it, they're dead. Mm-hmm. And so you could give Narcan to someone else, which I've I've known people that have done that. But he says, I have never known a single person to save themselves mm-hmm. from Narcan. So there's this, this lie that Narcan, we should be arming these people with Narcan. It's like, no, yeah. these people need to be armed with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Narcan oh, is not going to save your life if you're getting high alone. And so there was just a lot of things that he he told me about that I didn't know. And I guess I didn't consider because I don't want to know that stuff. You know, it's it's heavy stuff. But as just humans that live in the world, like they're starting to tell regular people that they need to carry an archon if they're if their kid is exposed, if they touch a doorknob that has it. Mm. So it is just it's getting really crazy. Right. And yeah. the way that this just captivates people not just fentanyl but all of this stuff just captivates people because it's it's easier to to not deal with it yeah and yeah. to have to deal with it and so I was talking with my husband this is the whole point of this but I was talking with my husband and saying you know it's it really sucks by the time people realize that it's time to recover they now have to deal with the stuff they had to deal with anyway, which was the reason they started. Mm. Then they have to deal with all of the shit that has happened since. Yeah. So like my brother's life has been on hold mm. for two years minimum, just completely on hold. He has never lived a life where he followed the law. Mm. So, you know, he's never had a registered car. He's never had a valid driver's license. He also got a suspended license and a DUI before he ever was even old enough to have a license. Mm. So he had a suspended license. I think he was 15. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's just, you know, it's just kind of crazy. He's never followed the law and now he's expected to shape up and it's, it's gotta be so effing hard. Like I can't imagine it was already hard to deal with the stuff and that's why you pick up stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Numb it. Yeah. But I think programs like Celebrate Recovery are absolutely vital. So did you meet your husband through Celebrate Recovery? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I actually, I mean, I met my now husband through my ex-husband and we were at a Celebrate Recovery uh, meeting. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, my ex-husband used to work with my now husband, uh, like he, it's kind of a convoluted story, <laughs> but that's kind of how I, I met my now husband is well, yes. It's meant to be, you know, and it sounds yeah. like your ex-husband, you have a stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that he had a choice, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> are there any kids that you share with either of them? Negative. I yeah. have never birthed a child. So never I've been a step. Yeah. Um, but I have was a stepmom with my ex-husband and his two daughters. And now I'm a stepmom with my current husband and his son. Um, but oh. his mom is not in the picture because of drugs. Yeah. And um, so, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's just, it's such a sad, sad situation, drugs, you know, and when people just wreck their life because of it. Um, and you know, like 
the two, obviously this situation, because I'm living it, you know, having Mm -hmm. to raise a child who is now nine years old and now fully understands and can comprehend what drugs and alcohol are and what they do and having to explain to him, you know, like why you don't talk to your birth mom and why you don't see your birth mom. And we don't know where your birth mom is, is because Mm -hmm. she's choosing drugs um, and she won't get the help that she needs. Um, and also like, so I don't know her personally. And the really, uh, I think sad thing is, is drug addicts or addicts in general, just get this stigma of their crappy people and they're just dirt bags. And it's not, that's not the case. Like so many, and I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, condoning what they do and I'm not giving an excuse. Well, oh, they can't help it. They most certainly can. They just have to want to. And like one of the people that come to my mind and is so close to my heart is my best friend's um, brother. And he's been dealing with heroin addiction. I mean, drug addiction, but it's heroin, it's meth, God knows what else. Um, but it's been going on for years and it started with weed and it got into heroin and he, it was all undealt with trauma and he kept going back to it and fell into this addiction with his late wife who actually ended up passing away from cancer at a very early age. I don't even think she made it to 21. They got married when they found out she had cancer and she wasn't going to make it and they got married and both of them were addicted to heroin. And after her death, he just spiraled out of control and same thing, always getting in trouble with the law, always, you know, he'll be sober for a little bit, but then he'll fall back into it. And it's always with a traumatic event. And Mm -hmm. so something is not getting healed and dealt with within him. And he's just getting in trouble, having to being forced to get sober, but it's never something that like he comes to a you're right. It's not something that he comes to a realization of getting the healing. And now just recently his father died. So my, my best friend's dad died and his brother's father died mm-hmm. and he's back on it again. And now, now he's, he's, he's running. I think he's all the way back on the West coast because he did something out here and now he's on the run, you know? So yeah, and it's like every time it gets worse and worse, every time oh, yeah. you go back to it, it's, it's worse. Cause it's like this compounding effect, right. Of, okay. There was the reason I started. And then there was a reason I picked it up again and again and again, and it's just compounding, but you're right. It's not that these people are the scum of the earth. And right. yes, I totally agree with you. Like this stuff is a choice and mm-hmm. it has to start with the choice, but it also has to end with the choice. Absolutely. And yeah. if you, if you're not choosing this, you are still actively choosing to engage in that life. And it's so sad because these are some of the most incredible, smart, charismatic, interesting people that you'll ever know. And a lot of them really, it, it, it really is just traumatic stuff that they don't know how to process. And like I said, it's, we all deal with this stuff we just numb it in different ways. Right. And Mm -hmm. the people who are picking up alcohol and picking up drugs, it's more visible or the people who choose food, right. It's, it's visible on them too, but there's a lot of ways that people deal with this kind of stuff and none of it's okay. 
We Mm -hmm. have to deal with the things that hurt us or else we're going to end up hurting everyone else in the process. That's one of the reasons why I absolutely love CR celebrate recovery is because it deals with it. It deals with the root of it and it's, it's, it's biblically based. So if you don't know what CR is, it's celebrate recovery. It was, um, founded in Southern California, um, by, uh, Rick Warren and Johnny Baker. And, um, like I said, it's an incredible program. And when you're in it, you have an opportunity to go deeper and become a part of a step study. And a step study is, I think it's 12 weeks. I can't remember how long it is, but basically you are in a small group and you work on whatever it is that you are in celebrate recovery for. So for me personally, it was, you know, um, alcohol abuse Mm -hmm. and it dives into things. I mean, you start uncovering, you, you do like timelines of your life and traumatic events and yes, it's unearthing things, but it equip, they equip you. So you have your, you, you're supposed to get a sponsor. You have accountability partners. Um, all while you're walking through this, you're getting support and it's free. Like you're not paying for a program. You're not paying for counseling. You know, there's guidelines and it works. If you work it, it works when it's done correctly and run correctly and Mm -hmm. you can go for everything. So like I originally started going to celebrate recovery. Like I said, I didn't have a problem. I wasn't an alcoholic. (laughs) I originally started going to make sure my ex-husband was going. And then Mm -hmm. through me going to celebrate recovery, I was like, Oh my God, I am a, I'm, I have codependency. I I'm a codependent because I'm enabling these people, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I started working on codependency. And then through that, I was like, Oh, well, I have a drinking problem. (laughs) And so then I was working on that. So it's like these different legs of this program healed me in multiple areas. And it, it just brought me to a whole nother person, you know, it brought me to a whole nother aspect of my life and level of my life. And I just want to help everybody. Like, I really, I know that's not possible, but again, like my meaningful mission is that no matter who you are, anyone that comes into contact with me, whether it's through my speaking, coaching, or podcasting, or just knowing me that they feel the love of Jesus and that they know that there is a reason for them and that they matter and that their story matters. And we Mm -hmm. all have pain and we all have gone through something and there's a reason for it. There's a purpose for our pain. It's not in vain. Yeah. And I think, um, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between narcotics anonymous or alcohol anonymous and celebrate recovery. Is it just the biblical base or is, are there other differences in that? So like with, uh, AA and NA, they refer to, um, you know, in the steps, uh, your higher power with celebrate recovery. It is biblically based. However, you do not have to be a believer to go. Um, and they don't force you to do anything they do. So with, um, NA and AA, they have the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And with celebrate recovery, they have, um, the 12 steps, but also the eight principles. And so, um, 
they go back and forth and they read one week, they'll do the 12 steps one week, they'll read the eight principles, but each, each, uh, principle, if you will. So the 12 steps, they have Bible verses that correlate with it. The eight principles, they have Bible verses that correlate with it. So the biblical aspect of celebrate recovery is woven throughout its entirety. Did that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. So how would someone get involved with celebrate recovery? They just Google it and show up at a church that is offering it. Yeah, it's pretty stinking simple. Um, if you have a smartphone, you can download the celebrate recovery app. Mm. You can also, and when you do that, um, you put in your zip code and you can do a radius and it'll pull up all the places that offer celebrate recovery in your surrounding area. It's a nationally based program. So it's in every state. Um, there are state representatives. So you there, there, no matter what, there is someone you can get into contact in your area that will help you get connected to a program. And they also, here's the other thing that I absolutely stinking love is they have, um, programs for kids. So they have, what is the high school one called the landing? I think is what it's called, but they have, a junior high, high school ministry that's celebrate recovery based. And they also have like, um, celebration place. So it's not just childcare. So if you're an adult and you're going to celebrate recovery and you're bringing your child, it's not just childcare. It's they're going through, and it's obviously geared towards the age it's age appropriate, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, p- members of the family, like your children, they're, a part of your journey and they're going through what you're going through also. And they need to learn how to cope with this and they need to learn the skills to walk with you along this journey. So it's a fantastic program if it's done correctly. That's incredible. I didn't know about the kids programs. I think yeah. that that's a huge missing piece to yeah. people's stories. And you know, the weight of knowing that your parent is choosing drugs or alcohol over you has got to feel incredibly heavy. And mm-hmm. also I know a lot of kids take that on as their fault. Yeah. Like, oh, it must not be good enough. I'm it it must be me that yeah. they don't, you know, kind of thing. And so that is just really awesome. Um, I love that. So I want to talk about where we can get more from you. How can we be in your circle? How can we hear from you? What, what are the things that you're offering out into the world right now to help people, um, just step into their full potential, find their purpose, all these things. Yeah. Um, so I am, well, I'm most frequently on Instagram. That's where you can, you know, catch a lot of my, um, mannerisms. If you want to follow me (laughs) along, uh, I tend to keep my stories fun sometimes. Um, but, uh, Instagram is where you can find me and follow me. If you would like to learn about me without me knowing, (laughs) um, if I get it, I get a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Most definitely I'm on podcast, which is the bite size podcast. Again, if you want to watch from afar, totally get it, but you can connect with me on Instagram. You can message me there. Uh, my website is the bold beginnings.com. Mm-hmm. And there you can learn about my speaking opportunities, coaching opportunities, 
or if you want to be on the podcast, you can connect with me there as well. There's a page for all of those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, if you, if you, if it's a social media platform and you search my name, you could probably find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, I definitely think you guys should go and check out Lorraine, see what she's up to support her as she is riding through this journey. Mm-hmm. And I just love that you were vulnerable and shared your story with us, Lorraine. I really think, like I said, this is stuff that needs to be normalized is stuff that needs to be talked about more. Um, stop leaving your shame you know, letting your shame hold you back, I guess is what Mm. I'm trying to say. And step out because someone needs to hear your story. Someone needs to hear your story to spark their courage to to get where they need to go. So I absolutely believe that you are doing the Lord's work out here and helping people get where they need to be. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. And thank um, you. Can't wait to connect with you more. And like I said, guys, go give her a follow. Check out her website. Um, show up at the events she's speaking at. Uh, listen to her podcast and um, help help me root, root for her. So I will talk to y'all later and hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Bye. Bye.